Hey everyone, Dr. Beth Trammell here and welcome back to Things You Learn in Therapy. And I'll tell you, there is a lot of uh, so much content in this that I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what you will learn in therapy. And I want to remind folks that this podcast is not meant to replace therapy. There will be really nothing that can replace uh, the power of really great therapeutic treatment. Instead, I hope that you find these episodes as glimpses of hope, glimpses of feeling supported or feeling heard or seen or known, and realizing that you're not alone. These struggles that um, we talk about in this episode are very real. It doesn't mean that we know exactly what you're going through necessarily, but our hope is that you will see that grief is something that lives in a continuum that is individually yours, but that which you are not alone in. So this episode, I am thrilled to uh, share both for this podcast and my other podcast, because I thought there were so many takeaways for parents who've experienced their own loss, but honestly, for anyone who has ever experienced grief or for anyone who maybe hasn't experienced grief just yet, you will, and you'll want to have taken notes on this episode, y'all. Enjoy, get your notebook out, get your journal out, be ready to write some things down because Michelle Benio has so many great things that she's going to share. And don't forget to check out her freebie that she talks about. I'll make sure I have it in the show notes, but this would be a good resource for you to have in your pocket, but also to share with others. So, hey everyone, welcome back to Kids These Days. I am your host, Dr. Beth Trammell, and I have a really amazing guest with me today. Uh, Michelle Benio is joining uh, on the podcast today to talk about a topic that, you know, when you first looked at the description of this episode, you might have thought, well, that's actually probably not for me. You know, I haven't experienced what um, she's going to be talking about, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, I really think there's going to be so much that you walk away from today's conversation with, even if you haven't necessarily firsthand experienced the loss of a child. And so Michelle, I'm so thankful that you um, decided to join today. And can you let folks know a little bit about you, kind of how you got into this good grief parenting approach that you're going to talk to us about? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's sort of the unfortunate way that you stepped into this work, but but we're really thankful that you did. Yes. Well, thank you, Beth. I'm really happy to be here. And um, I, yes, I came equipped into this role, but not in some ways, but not one bit prepared in other ways. And that was um, here in Minnesota, where I'm from, we have early childhood parent education in every school district for parents and children of the early childhood ages. And I had a four and a half year old and a 15 month old, and I was starting this uh, field. And I spent my days with families of young children. And to me, that was the perfect perfect life. But then just a few months into my first year as an early childhood parent educator for, um, for those classes, my son was diagnosed with cancer. And I did not know how to deal with that. I hadn't experienced any crisis like this in my family before. Um, 
And so it was no longer parenting as usual. And after a two and a half year battle with cancer, my son died. My daughter was three and a half years old at the time. And she actually said to me, mommy, half of me is gone. Mm. So I was just struck with the realization that I was going to raise this child through her whole life ahead of her. She would not have another sibling um, with half of her gone. And I knew because, because of the importance of identity development and family members, particularly siblings in the development of identity of young children that in a very real sense, half of her was gone with him. Mm. And how was I going to help her grow up whole and happy? And I thought, well, I'm in the field. So I felt like I sort of had a leg up, um, but I could not find any resources that helped me do this. They just weren't out there. And I should mention that this was actually 21 years ago. Um, we didn't have internet like we do now. We didn't have Facebook groups um, and we didn't have studies and books that have since happened to help me know how to raise her. So at the time, my concern was to just get her through her life, us through our life without our are without my son, her brother. And, um, but I knew because I'm an educator at heart that whatever I learned, I was going to have to provide for others because nothing was out there for us. And I can just imagine the, I mean, any kind of loss is just so excruciating to have to walk through, but I have thought before, because I've worked with young clients who've experienced their own loss, you're not just managing your own grief, but you're also managing the grief of everyone else, including this, this little person who doesn't totally understand, you know, that he's actually gone forever. And not just to mention the hardship of just raising a, you know, a preschooler at the time. Right. Yes. So I can imagine how overwhelming it was with so many emotions, not knowing what to do, or there was nowhere for you to turn. And so I am, you know, just looking forward to hearing more about, so what, what kind of came out of this? Well, you're absolutely right. The two hardest things that we'll ever need to do as adults is parent a child because none of us get a manual with that no. and, and grieve a loved one and have yes. our dreams. Uh, you know, you mentioned young families when we've got young children, we've got all of these dreams and suddenly they're just shattered and shattered. we can't see, we can't see around that. It's like, mm. how can I possibly have new dreams? So it needs to start with, um, how do I live forward? Some of the things that I give families in the good grief parenting approach is um, the idea that grief is good. Mm. <laughs> First and foremost, it's, it's a normal, natural part of living. And we don't want our young children to be exposed to something like this. But sometimes at this young age, like my daughter, they are, and then we just need to give them that reality. And we need to let them know that as shaken as their world has been, good things are still ahead. There are still bright possibilities, new dreams, 
And as parents, we need to find our way forward. Um, I, my course is called See Your Way Forward After Child Loss. And it just really helps parents see, okay, now what do I do? How do I handle all the things that have come roaring into my life that I wasn't expecting? And it starts with realizing that grief is good because we think of grief as this devastation that has just destroyed our lives. And how can we ever be happy again in the presence of grief? But we really can be. We need to learn to do that and do it gradually, but we can do that. So it's managing those two really um, challenging roles of grieving and parenting at the same time. And, you know, so many of us don't grow up with um, appropriate or even positive messages around grief. And, and what we know is we carry, you know, both our parenting messages, but also, you know, messages about loss with us mm-hmm. as we, as we step into adulthood. And so I'm sure, um, you know, it's, it's also about identifying what those first messages about, about grief and loss have been for us. Yes, you're absolutely right. Because most of us uh, grew up in families where grief was this elephant in the room, right? We as adults felt like they were supposed to be strong, not Mm. their grief, we certainly didn't talk about our grief. And we just try to get beyond it. People who are in our lives when we've experienced a loss often think they're doing Um, good things for us when they encourage us to get just get past it, get happy again, move on all of these things. And that that is not at all what good grief is. So in my program, I actually have identified four uh, heart, I call them heartbeats. They are just sort of the pillars of the program. And the first one is good grief beliefs. And it really is identifying how we view grief and recognizing, as you said, that much of what we learned as children was not healthy or helpful. And there are better ways to look at grief and recognize that the only way to cope with grief is to go straight through it, to allow it to be what it what it's meant to be. And it actually is a way for us to heal and recover from that loss. And so we talk about um, what we come into the experience feeling about grief, and then how to shift that in a more positive way for our family. We talk next, the next heartbeat is um, continuing bonds, which is the idea of carrying forward the relationship with the child who died for my daughter saying half of her was gone. I needed to keep her brother in her life Not that that was the only reason I wanted to do it as grievers. We instinctively know we don't want to let go of our loved one, even though other people sometimes tell us we should. No, continuing bonds is really, again, a a healthy part of healing is to have ways that we can continue that relationship and remember that person um, living forward. And then the third heartbeat is essential messages, which is the recognition that um, when we experience a a shakeup in our lives, uh, you know, there are things that we need to be assured of. And for children, this is particularly true. 
they don't understand what death is. Yep. Um, they don't understand everything we do as adults, but they certainly feel that something really awful has happened. Yeah. That the adults are upset. Adults aren't acting the same. Yep. One, one reason that parenting while grieving is a challenge is not just because we're trying to do both at the same time, but also because parenting changes after you lose a child. Suddenly, that reality that a child can die changes you as a parent as well as the other children in the family. So children really need to hear Yes, we're so sad that David died, and we're so happy that you're still here, mm. and we're going to get through this together. I know mommy gets upset sometimes, but we're going to be okay. This is okay. We're sad now. We will be happier. We will get through this, and the child really needs those messages that they are valued and that um, their, their world is still secure. You still are um, taking care of them. And then the last um, heartbeat is the choices that we make in how we're going to live forward, kind of the concrete things that we do as a family so that we can still have a future with dreams and live in the presence of grief because grief doesn't go away. It's not something that's going to end. And then you just go back to normal, your life is going to be different. And so what are some of the choices and intentions that you're going to live forward with? So that's those are the point the four areas that we talk about in the good grief parenting approach. I, I love those. And I want to, I want to ask questions about them, because they are, they're so good. And I can see how it would I w- it would apply so perfectly to losing a sibling, but also how it applies to so many other losses too. So the first thing I want to ask about is this idea of, um, you know, like moving through grief, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I think the, if you or I, or anybody who's listening asked someone, what is the first thing that you associate with grief? I think most of us would say pain. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so most of us live our lives trying to avoid pain, right? <laughs> both physical, emotional, psychological, like we just don't want to experience pain. And so I think that that's a big part of why people often avoid talking about grief, engaging in grief work. And rightfully so, because it doesn't, it's not natural for us to be like, yes, let me experience pain. Mm-hmm. So how do you help people know that like, yes, pain is okay. And it still can be good grief. Yes. Yes. The pain is, is necessary. And also I, I would say when you allow the pain, it's sort of like when you have this secret and you don't want to tell anybody. And so you just keep it to yourself. And at some point you share it with someone and suddenly it's just not so bad anymore. You think, Oh, why didn't I tell them this before? It's sort of the same thing with grief. When we keep it locked in, there's no place for it to go. And when we bring grief into the light of day, other people can say, yes, I feel that way too. Or yes, I understand that. Although the other thing about grief, 
and I and I'm really careful to to say this with any families I work with is even though I've had this experience, I don't know your grief. I don't know anyone else's grief. I know some things about grief, but I don't know exactly what you're going through. All I know is that um, it's normal and natural to experience a lot of different things in grief. And when we can go straight through them, we find that we live in spite of it. And it gives us, uh, uh, it gives us a sense of, of strength and resilience and hope because we're going through it. We're not um, incapacitated by it. And for young children, one of the first things I talk to parents about is this self-care piece of them making sure they are taking care of their own grief. Because sometimes when you're caring about your child, then your tendency may be to focus on that child and to not allow your own grief. And that's not healthy for your child. They need to see you being the role model that acknowledges grief and they need to um, recognize how people grieve and that, you know, there's crying and there's feeling sad and they're saying that I hurt and all of these things, but then there's a, a better day. And so, um, yeah, our tendency is to avoid pain, but when we do that with children, we're really handicap handicapping that. And I would say that a lot of us as adults um, know that that's the way we were taught about grief. And so then we're faced with it and we don't know what to do with it because we didn't learn that as children. And childhood is really, I, I, that's why I say childhood is the best time to learn about grief and loss, because then you grow into an adult who can handle it and live forward. And, and I talk about living forward versus moving forward, because living to me implies that vitality and that intentionality and that um, quality of going forward that that I hope all families can have after such a loss. I think there's so many good things that that you just mentioned that I I want to just like recap, you know, this this idea that most often I've seen, you know, we fear this kind of emotional pain that we think mm -hmm. comes with grief. And and I'm not I don't want folks to hear me say this and minimize what this pain is, but I think most of us just don't know what that feeling is. So we think it's pain. It must be like all of the other pain I've experienced, you know, whether that's a needle at the doctor's office or it's a, you know, I got a scrape or a cut or childbirth, right? <laughs> it's like we associate all pain as equal. And I think most of us who haven't necessarily experienced grief in our own lives, we don't know what pain in the grieving process feels like. All we know is that it's deep sadness and we don't want to be sad either. So yes. I think we do bottle it up. We pretend like it's okay. We, we don't want to go through it. But then once we actually step into that and step into like almost surrendering to the mm -hmm. process of grief, we actually find out that we are stronger than we thought we were. Mm -hmm. Two things I would say to that is one, yes, it is so it is sadness, but it is so much more than that. And yes. that's the other reason why it's important to look at it, because children grieve differently than adults do. You're not going to see children crying and, 
you know, I mean, some of them may, but many of them may just be playing and looking like they're not concerned, but I guarantee you they are. Yeah. Some of them may start behaving in kind of obnoxious ways oh, yeah. or clingy ways, or just kids who used to be very bold may now just not want to venture forth and do anything. Um, kids behave in ways that you think, who is this child? And sometimes, especially with young kids in this early childhood age, you question, well, is this normal development? Or is this grief? And so we really do need to be aware that uh, children grieve very much by the way they behave, um, and what they're doing physically, how they're playing. They may have stomach aches, they may not want to eat, they may not be able to sleep. All of these things that seem you don't know what they're about. If you've had this upset and this loss in your family, most likely that's your child grieving in the way that they do. And so that's important as well to recognize. And that grief is, and so when we talk to kids about being sad and then try to cheer them up, which is what we often do with sadness, that doesn't work with grief because grief is so much deeper and so much more complex than sadness. And so um, we need to recognize that and really deal with what's going on inside that child. I love that you clarified that because I couldn't agree more that the way we see grief in kids is not at all probably what we think we're going right. to see. <laughs> and I think the other thing I want for you to clarify for listeners is so um, the grieving process for adults is very individualized, right? Mm -hmm. You said earlier I experienced this kind of loss, but I don't know what your grief is like. I couldn't right. know because everyone has their own individual process. Mm -hmm. I think when I talk with folks about grief, one of the hardest things is the time frame for grieving. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think our kiddos, uh, can you just talk and clarify? Let, let me just start yes. there. Talk and yes. clarify the time frame for our both our own grief mm -hmm. uh, when we lose a child, but also how do how do our kiddos go through a time frame of grieving? That's such an important question because again, a lot of um, well-intentioned but uninformed people out there try to put a time frame yep. on it. They mm -hmm. see you and they say, "Okay, it's been a year." Yep, you know. Um, you, there is no time frame and there is nothing wrong with any time frame. The, right. the only time to be concerned about how long you're grieving is if you're really just not able, if you're, if you are incapacitated, if you really are unable to carry on your life, then be concerned. But I will tell you that even though my son died uh, 20 years ago, I have, when I go in and look at pictures like I've had to do for some podcasts I've guested on and they've asked me for pictures, it can send me really to a horrible place after 20 years. Mm. And I'm not, and I'm not living in that place. And so um, grief is, uh, we will feel better. We will change. We go from the acute grief, which is just the devastation 
to through a transition phase that that ebbs and flows that you don't get to a point and then you're beyond um, feeling the hardship and the pain of grief because throughout your life you can have attacks of it. Um, but there's a point at which your grief can be something that you carry and you can, it, it informs the way you live your life, but it, but it isn't necessarily as front and center with children. The thing to keep in mind is because they don't have the full understanding of loss and death when it happens, as they grow up, they're going to have new grief all over again. The three-year-old who whose brother dies is going to have a new understanding at the age of six or 10, that's going to make them ask questions. Um, and they're, as they get to be my daughter, whose brother died at the age of six, when she was three, when he, the year that he would have graduated from high school, she made a, a drawing of him as the valedictorian of his high school graduating class she was just really aware of his absence and when she was in college in a poetry class she named her anthology every poem is a dead brother poem and so and and it was at that age of young adulthood really where where she did a lot of processing of this loss I don't reprocess my grief like that because I was a full grown adult when it happened to me, but children are going to experience it in new ways throughout the developmental stages and milestones of their lives. So this is another thing to be really aware of with grief and children. And I'm sure that it goes into that that third heartbeat that you were talking about in terms yes. of the messages that um, I, I picture, you know, a three-year-old asking questions and, you know, I have four kids of my own, a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, an eight-year-old and um, a six-year-old. And I can imagine, you know, ongoing questions. And so I'm sure that part of what you preach is also preparing parents that, okay, yes, right now in the acute phase of the devastation, we've got to have these messages. Mm -hmm. But then also for every question that they have, whether it's convenient for me or not, no matter how I'm feeling as the parent, how hurt yes. or wounded I am, I have to be prepared to share the right messages. So what are some of the ways that we can avoid those kind of mistakes, right? Where it's like, I am so sad today. You know, it's the anniversary mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I'm so sad. And now my kid wants to ask me 28 questions about how did he die? And I mm -hmm. just don't have it in me. So mm -hmm. how do you maintain that through the years, um, particularly with kiddos who, who might want to ask those questions? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I think that's probably one of the things that parents struggle with the most and are sort of uh, wary of and afraid of the most. Yeah, And it isn't that difficult. It is simply being honest with your child at the level that they're asking, starting with, and, and this is a hard one. This is maybe one of the biggest obstacles, even with the three-year-old saying that their loved one, their brother or their dad or, or their dog died, using the words died and dead when it's your child 
you choke on those words mm. and it's your spouse. You choke on those words. We as adults don't like to say our loved one died, but it's really important to use it with children because it's the only accurate word that there is that really tells them what happened. And my three-year-old didn't exactly know what death was, but when she was five and she knew that dead was what had happened to David, she started to understand more and more what that meant. I didn't have to give her new vocabulary when she could understand it. I gave her the accurate vocabulary in the beginning. And a really good way to talk with young children about death is to say that the person's body stopped working. So they can't laugh anymore. They can't feel anymore. They can't do the things they used to be able to do. And they'll never be able to do that again. And we're not going to see them anymore. Those, those are just factual things that typically satisfy a really young child. And then as they get older, they will ask questions. And part of us, part of our challenge as parents is to honor their questions. Yes, that can be really hard. And they may ask over and over again, because that's another thing about young children when they're trying to figure something out. It's not that they didn't understand the first time you told them. They did. They did. They heard it. But they're grappling with it in their mind. So yeah, they may ask that question over and over again. And that can be so hard. Just try to give them what they ask. Don't give them any more detail. Your answers don't have to be long, but they do need answers to their questions that are honest and not misleading in any way. I have a similar response when I talk with parents about any kind of hard conversation, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's any other hard topic in parenting, yeah. you know, it's like answer their question honestly, use the correct terminology mm -hmm. until their, you know, curiosity is fulfilled and don't focus on them understanding every single piece mm -hmm. and making sure they know it and, you know, spending all this time harping on it. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I love all of that. And then how do you respond to the parent who says, or asks you, you know, well, Michelle, how much, how young is too young? You know, how much should I tell them they're so little, how do I, um, you know, approach this topic with them? When they're so little, you know, I, I get the question mm -hmm. of how much mm -hmm. is too much and at what age. Mm -hmm. So do you get a similar kind of question and how do you respond to that? Yeah. And I think that that goes along with what you were just saying, Beth, and that is we try to figure out what they need to know. We try to figure out what they don't know and what they should know and what they may want to know. We need to start from a very simple place. They died their body stopped working, we're, I'm really sad, we're not going to see them anymore, we'll miss them. That's pretty much the basics. Let the child ask more. And yeah. when they ask more, don't think, oh, they must be thinking this, so I need to tell them this. Just answer what they asked. Don't get ahead of them because chances are where you go when you get ahead of them is not at all where they went. If you wonder why they're asking a question and your mind starts to try to figure it out, then just say, what made you ask me that? And let them tell you. And they'll probably 
say something that is not at all where you thought their head was at. So real, and that can so much take the pressure off you as a parent to just really, really let them take the lead. And you always have time to give them more information when they ask for it, but they don't need to know everything at once. They just need to know that they're not going to see this person anymore. That's why you're sad, you know, these things that are obvious to them and we're going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. I'm still here. All of those things that they need to feel secure. I, I know folks can't see me, but my head was just like nodding voraciously to everything you just mentioned. Yeah. Cause I, I just couldn't agree more too often. We mess up the conversations because of our own anxiety, our own mm-hmm. messages mm-hmm. about certain conversations. And we think, oh my gosh, what my kid is actually saying is this. And really yes. that is not at all what the child's saying or even wants to know, you know, mm-hmm. I just think mm-hmm. we complicate it. And I love that you, you know, your advice is just keep it very simple small steps, small conversations over and over and over, always just kind of coming back to what it is Mm -hmm. that they need. Mm -hmm. So I think that's so good. So if there was sort of one take home message that you're like, this is really what I want people to know about the work that you do, the things that you see with, um, with grief and families, what is, what is kind of one of your take home messages? Well, if I may just quickly give three. One, I already take three. About you get three. The, I already talked about the importance of self-care. And I just want to repeat that. You as the adult get to take care of yourself. Yes. And if you need support to help you with your family so that you can take care of yourself, do that. You deserve, you need to take care of yourself to take care of your family. So yes. it's not a luxury. The second is that piece of conversation, just be willing to talk to children about it. When we don't talk to children, they're manufacturing all kinds of things in their minds. They're scared. They're confused. What's going on in their minds is not good for them. So they just need for you to be willing to talk to them and just, and hug them, do the nonverbal you know, connect reassurance. Yes. Yes. And so don't um, allow the overwhelming feeling to separate you. Make sure you're staying connected as a family with your child. And the third thing that I haven't really, um, we've sort of touched on it, but not really is simply to honor grief. And by that, I mean, all kinds of grief, because we all actually do experience grief for the first time in our early childhood years. It's not always the death of a loved one. It may be the death of a goldfish, you know, Um, but when grief happens, grief is simply the response to loss, the response to the fact that something is gone that we will never have back that we want. And so to honor that, however it comes into your child's life and help them understand these lessons about that grief happens, it's sad, it makes us not feel good, that makes sense. No, you don't always have to be happy. I don't need to cheer you up. This is sad. It's okay to be sad. 
that's really important for young kids to learn. And so those are my three takeaways. And I would just say a lot of this is addressed in a freebie that I have that I'd like to make your audience aware of. And it's my good grief guide, which you can find on my website, which is goodgriefparenting.com. On the homepage, right at the top, you can download this good grief guide, which talks about how grief is good, gives you some very concrete ideas about how to have some of these conversations a little bit differently with children, what kids need from us. Um, You know, we cannot fix grief for anybody, but we can certainly help it be better, better grief. And so download the good grief guide, whether you feel like you need it right now or not, because at some point as a parent with children, you will find some helpful guidance in it. And you may know someone else that you can share it with. So please, I really want you to have this when you need it instead of needing to go look for it. So it's goodgriefparenting.com, the good grief guide. I'm so thankful that you brought that up. It was actually going to be my next question. How do people find you and the work that you do? And I actually really love that you kind of start on your webpage. Like, I'm glad that you found me and I'm sorry that you had to. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. I mean, that just really kind of sums up everything that you have talked about and shared today. And I'm, I'm so thankful that you were able to join today because even just hearing you talk about it and realizing, although I, I don't have this experience personally, Mm -hmm. I can imagine how so many of these things can apply to so many other grief experiences that parents can prepare themselves for. I love that, you know, you're talking about this good grief guide because grief is going to happen. Yes. Yes. It's moving, you know, the movie inside out is such a yes. good example of grief. So good. The, the, and, you know, nobody in that family was admitting that they were grieving and they all were in their own way. And when we share grief as a family, then we do go through it. We do live through it and it's good grief because we grow from it. So that's really what I want for all of your listeners. It's so good. So, you know, what we forgot to do at the beginning your fun fact. Oh, my fun fact. Yes. And I had it all ready because you were ready. So we've got to share what's your fun fact. Well, my fun fact is that I'm coming to you from beautiful Minnesota on a blue sky, sparkly, 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 crunchy white snow day. It's three degrees. (gasps) And this is my favorite kind of day of all. Uh, My favorite day is a Minnesota January day. And so I'm kind of an anomaly. I say say I'm the kind of person who's supposed to live in Minnesota. I now live in the Twin Cities area, but I grew up up on the Canadian border. And um, I just signed up today for the winter challenge for Cure Search for Children's Cancer. And it is to walk you know, a certain number of miles in the winter. And as soon as we get done here, I'm going to get out there and add some miles because this is my favorite day. This is your jam. Three degrees. Look, I'll take blue skies. I'll actually even take snow. Oh, yes. Three degrees. I don't know. That's like 30 degrees less than what I sort of would like Mm -hmm. call my like edge. 
Mm-hmm. It's so crisp and energizing to me. Well, so, you know, you, you might be the anomaly. It. Yeah, <laughs> you dress for it. You know, you don't go out in shorts, although I don't know, maybe some maybe. Minnesotans do. Uh, they probably do. There's probably folks walking around the street by you that are wearing shorts. I, I saw a meme last week. So my son last year was in nature preschool. So they were outside and his mm. teacher was like, I don't know where she was from, probably Minnesota, because mm-hmm. she was like, I love all weather and there's no bad weather, only bad clothes. And um, he was outside in the rain. And I mean, and he loved it. It was great. Yes. Kids, kids love it. So we grownups tend to ruin it. But I saw this, this, um, this picture on Facebook where there was like these cots, you know, the early childhood educator in you will, mm-hmm. or parent educator will, will, mm-hmm. will um, kind of love this, but there were like four cots and it was snowing outside and they were outside taking a nap and they were like all bundled <laughs> up. And I'm like, the kids probably love that. And there were probably okay. parents who were like, writing their senator about how <laughs> that's child abuse or something. I don't yeah. know. But well, let me share with you another fun fact. And that is that um, I lived in Norway for three years. I went there as a um, National Guard soldier to do two weeks of winter survival training. And part of our training was to build us to dig a snow cave in the side of the mountain and sleep in it. So we did that we slept in this snow cave. And I I loved it, you know, but when I woke up, the the ceiling of the snow cave was just a few inches above my face, because when you sleep and the condensation, um, you know, gets on the snow, it kind of it makes it heavier and it sort of drops down. So I was in this snow cave with the ceiling just a few inches above my face. That was kind of freaky. Yeah. For those of you who can't see my face, I'm sort of just like (laughs) jaw dropped. Like, I can't believe what you're describing is a real life situation. Yes. Yes. So maybe your son's teacher is Norwegian because that's really their (laughs) attitude too. no bad weather, just bad clothes. So I'll have to ask her because Mm -hmm. yeah, she's, she's really into it. I love that experience. And I, um, I've just really enjoyed getting a chance to kind of chat with you today. And I know my listeners, um, are going to be, uh, excited about this free download. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. And, um, yeah, I mean, you have a lot of great resources on your website and I know you've done some other podcast interviews, Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure that all the listeners get access to be able to know where all those things are. So thank you for being with me today. Yes, you're welcome. And on my community page where many of those are, they can also uh, connect with me directly um, and have a conversation if anyone needs that. So thank you, Beth. Yes, I'm really glad this worked out today. I've enjoyed meeting you too. And I appreciate the work that you do with families and kids. So thank you for having me here. Thank you. And I hope you enjoy your walk this afternoon. I will. Thanks. Sounds good. All right, everyone. Until next time, we'll see y'all. 